I'm inside a hair dryer with Rolos, so my hair could get dry and then it could get straight. Jessica, Pedro's mom, has been getting her hair dyed blonde at the same stylist for over 20 years. But she hasn't been here in a while. Since Pedro's been out of jail, she's been busy and stressed. She says it's almost like he's a different person. A few weeks after he got out of jail, she took him and the family on a road trip. I told them, let's take a road trip to Niagara Falls. It was supposed to be a relaxing getaway, a way of reminding Pedro that he's safe, with family now, with people who love him. But Jessica says Pedro couldn't relax. And on the drive, he was being paranoid, looking everywhere, telling me to slow down when I was going normal speed. So he started feeling too agitated and and angry, and I'm going to get off the car. I cannot sit in the back. Like, he had to stay in the front seat to look all around, because in the back he said he was feeling claustrophobic. So I noticed at that moment there was something wrong. Like, I knew he was living all over, maybe what he felt in there. So when people say, oh, having you in a cage, is that now you good, now you in the streets, now you're okay. No, there's aftermath. Jessica's getting her hair done tonight for a reason. Tomorrow is Pedro's trial date, the culmination of the 15-month-long ordeal her family's been through, the constant court dates, Manny's months of investigating. Tomorrow is the day they'll find out if it was all worth it. If Pedro's found guilty, he'll end up right back behind bars. He could spend the next 15 years of his life in prison. From Gimlet Media, I'm Saki Kanafo, and this is Conviction. Early the next morning, Meg and I meet up with Manny at his apartment. He's getting ready for court, and there's a whole documentary crew in his living room, following him around. He's basking in the attention. He puts on his double-breasted suit and some cologne, and makes a quick stop in the kitchen before heading out the door. What are you doing now? Taking my last swig at OJ. I'm going to go kick some ass. Let's go get him. <laughs> we get in the Corvette and start driving over to the courthouse. What time again? 9.08. For months, Manny's been promising that he'll get the DA's office to drop the charges against Pedro. But now the trial day is here, and they still haven't dropped the charges. It seems pretty unlikely that they'll do it now. And Manny knows it. All right. Let's do this. As we park the Corvette and walk up to the courthouse, he acknowledges for the first time that he might have been wrong about getting the case dismissed. What do you think the odds are that it gets dismissed? Uh, unfortunately, I would bet on the house winning on this one. I think that's still going to go to trial. We'll know today if they're going to settle this. So we'll see. In all the time I've spent with Manny, this might be the first time I've ever seen him even hint at the possibility of defeat. So now we're about to walk into the Hall of Justice. This circus is going to begin. You know? And then, just as we arrive at the courthouse, my producer Meg approaches us 
She's just come out of the building. Did you guys hear the news? Huh? Did you hear the news? What? The case was dismissed. The case got dismissed? Just now? Yeah. Seriously? Yeah, seriously. Wow! Are you... Yes. Oh yeah. my God, we gotta go. Manny, in his excitement, dashes into the courthouse while we try to keep up with our microphones. He flies through security, barely even stopping for the metal detectors. By the time we catch up with him outside the courtroom, he's already on the phone with Jessica. They dismissed it. They dismissed it. They dismissed it. It's dismissed. We won. Tell my boy I got him justice. She didn't know. She's, she's almost here. Soon after hanging up with Jessica, Manny gets another call. Hey, Mom. I won that case. I won the case, Mom. With Pedro Hernandez, I gave him, I finally got his mom justice. I know. All right, mom, I love you. I, I'll talk to you in a bit. All right, God bless you, bye-bye. I can't believe this. This is calendar number 10, Pedro Hernandez. Pedro and his family and lawyers arrive, and everyone goes into the courtroom, where a hearing to close the case gets underway. Someone from the DA's office stands before the judge and delivers a statement. He says they want to drop the charges because of problems with their witnesses. At this time, the people moved to dismiss the indictment against Pedro Hernandez in uh, specifically indictment 2105 of 2016. The application of the district attorney was granted. The case was dismissed. The Bronx District Attorney, Darcel Clark, would later issue a statement about this case. In her statement, she said she would not tolerate misconduct by law enforcement. She also said her office had been looking into allegations of wrongdoing in the case, and that she'd invited the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York to help investigate. I reached out to the U.S. Attorney's office and the District Attorney, but neither of them would comment on the investigation or would confirm whether it's underway. After the case is dismissed, Pedro and Jessica squeeze into an elevator with a pack of reporters, and they make their way downstairs to the street outside the courthouse. Standing there with Manny and Pedro's lawyers, they answer questions from the press. Okay, so, Mr. Hernandez, your thoughts on today? Uh, my thoughts is I feel good. I want to thank everybody. Thanks, Alex Spiro. Thanks, Private Investigator Manuel Gomez. Thanks, my family. Thanks to RFK. Just thank everybody who's by my side, supporting me through the way, and helping me get this case dismissed. Were you surprised? No, I wasn't surprised. I knew it was coming on along just in a matter of time. How, how are you feeling at this point now that this has happened? It's a roller coaster, but like Pedro said, we knew we was coming. Whether it was going to trial and winning the trial, it was just a matter of time when it was going to get here. Were you confident this morning when you got? Uh, I have butterflies in my stomach. I just didn't know if it was for good or for bad. But now I know it was for good. What will your family, you and your family do now? Celebrate. Jessica gets in a car with Pedro and they drive away. Away from the press. Away from the Bronx Hall of Justice. 
As I watched them drive off, I noticed Manny standing alone on the sidewalk outside the courthouse. I walk up and ask if he's going to celebrate too, and he says he's too busy. He says he has another case to deal with that very afternoon, a murder case involving more bad cops and prosecutors, and he says he's going to win that battle too. If this was a certain kind of detective story, one of the stories that Manny grew up watching on TV, it might have ended here, with the hero walking away in triumph, despite all the naysayers who criticized his unorthodox methods. But it isn't that kind of story. And so I have to tell you about one last case, one last battle between Manny and the system, a battle where his methods lead to a very different outcome for himself and for the people he's trying to help. That's coming up after the break. In June 2018, nine months after Pedro's case was dismissed, I watched Manny take the witness stand at a courtroom in Queens. So you state your full name, for your last name, and give you a county of residence? Manuel He's on the stand because of a new case he took on, a murder case, the case he had to go deal with right after Pedro's case got dismissed. And this new case has a lot of similarities to Pedro's. A young man accused of a violent crime who claims he's innocent, a witness for the prosecution who Manny tracked down, cops and prosecutors who Manny has claimed are corrupt. But in this case, after Manny went after the prosecutor, she didn't drop the charges against his client. She did what Manny does, fought back harder. She asked the judge to hold an unusual type of hearing where she would get to put Manny on the stand and grill him about his investigative methods, which is why I'm here today in a packed courtroom in Queens, watching her cheerfully greet the notorious private investigator who's been sticking his nose into her case. Good morning, Mr. Gomez. You indicated that you are a private investigator, correct? I'm licensed, yes. You're licensed by the state of New York, correct? Absolutely. And you had to go As she begins questioning Manny, Manny's client watches anxiously from the gallery. This is the defendant in the case, Ajaya Neal. He's been accused of shooting someone in a park in broad daylight, but he insists he did not commit the murder. And Manny has gathered a lot of evidence that seems to back this up. But now, at the hearing, the prosecutor is calling all that evidence into question. She's trying to make the case that Manny's client, Ajaya, shouldn't be allowed to use Manny's evidence in his defense. And she's doing that by trying to show that Manny's methods are biased, manipulative, and sloppy. As a private investigator, do you take any of your own notes when you're interviewing witnesses or when you are conducting your investigation at all? Any other information I give, I turn over, is not property of mine. I turn it over to the lawyer. Okay, so that's not the question. No notes. You don't take any notes when you conduct an investigation? Take the videos and the affidavits. That's the best evidence ever. My question, sir, was whether you take any notes with respect to your investigation, yes or no. I said no three times. This is the fourth time, no. Okay, so, all right, you know what? Just watch it, okay? 
Eventually, the prosecutor gets to the main issue that she put Manny on the stand to ask him about. Manny's dealings with one particular witness, a woman named Erica King. You also turned over an affidavit from Ms. Erica King and a video from Ms. Erica King, correct? Correct. Erica King is a key witness for the prosecution. She witnessed the murder, saw a man get shot right in front of her. The shooter's face was partially covered by a bandana. Still, when the authorities showed Erica King a photo array, she picked Manny's client, Ajaya, as the shooter. After Ajaya's family hired Manny, Manny set out to talk to Erica King. He traveled 500 miles to North Carolina and showed up unannounced at her job, and he got her to give him a statement. In that statement, Erica King said that the authorities guided her and pressured her into picking Ajaya as the killer. After talking with Manny, she was no longer willing to testify against Manny's client. But then the prosecutor learned about this, and she went back to Erica King. They had another chat. And at that point, Erica King told yet another story. She now said that Manny had manipulated her into turning against the cops and prosecutors. She said that he told her that the prosecutor, quote, couldn't be trusted, that she was known for railroading innocent people. And she said that Manny told her about an earlier case where the prosecutor had been accused of withholding evidence. But what he didn't tell Erica King was that a judge later cleared the prosecutor of that violation. Were you not present in court when I read the judge's decision in that case, which exonerated myself, the New York City Police Department, with respect to that case? Were you not listening to that, or did you not think that that was relevant? I don't recall that. Oh, of course you don't recall that, because that doesn't fit within your agenda, right, sir? Same argument. So you don't recall hearing that note before, correct? Like I said, it was a while ago. This questioning goes on for hours. The prosecutor insinuating that Manny's dishonest. Manny countering that she's corrupt, that she's the one who's twisting the truth. That's what I'm aware of. That's what caused me to start investigating you and your tactics and other measures in this case. I watched the judge grow more and more frustrated with Manny until finally he's heard enough. Okay, 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 just, just, uh, just stop talking, Because okay? I know you have another agenda that's going on here. No, just, 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 I said, I said, just, just stop talking. Just stop talking. Now let's get something straight here. The other agenda that you have doesn't belong in this courtroom. I don't know what agenda you're talking about. You know what I'm talking about. No, it does not belong. Listen, listen. Do not ask. Do not ask me questions. Because I'll, I'll explain to you what contempt of court means. You do not stop talking. You do not ask, ask me questions. Okay. Okay? So the other agenda that you have in here has no place in this courtroom at this time. Just ask, answer the questions. That's all you have to do. All right? I'm doing Good. Answer the questions. I'm answering the truth. You answer the questions. I'm only the truth. After a few hours of this, the hearing finally ends, and Manny steps down from the witness stand. A few months later, I go back to the courthouse to hear the judge issue his decision. Manny can't make it that day. He says he has another case. But the defendant, Ajaya, is there. He's out on bail. 
He sits next to his mom and fiancé, awaiting his turn to go in front of the judge, his fiancé holding his arm tightly. And then it's time. He stands up, walks over to the defendant's table, and the judge begins reading his decision. The evidence clearly showed that Ms. Gomez visited Ms. King in North Carolina not to hear her side or to further investigate the case, but to deceive and mislead her, turn her and disqualify her as as a witness in the upcoming trial. And if tampering with the witness and derailing the case was not enough, the major parts of Mr. Gomez's distorted work The judge is saying that Manny did commit misconduct in his investigation. And then the judge turns his attention to Ajaya, whose family had hired Manny. Mr. Neal, what should be clear to you from what I just read is that in this court's opinion, you are just as complicit in this this action as as Mr. Gomez is. You're one of the few defendants in a murder case that I actually have out, that, that out on bail. And it appears that your being out has allowed you to actually interfere with and and participate in the fabrication of witnesses and corrupted the integrity of this case. That being being the case, you are remanded until the 19th. That is not fair. Quiet, 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 quiet. I sat there stunned as this scene played out, as the judge revoked Ajaya's bail, as the guards put him in handcuffs as his weeping fiancé was ushered out of the courtroom. I watched Sajaya look back at his mother as she told him to keep praying, to keep his head up. Then he turned away, and the courtroom door closed behind him. I leave the courthouse and pace around a little park outside the building, trying to make sense of what I just saw. I still don't know what this news will mean for Manny, for his future as a private investigator. But if what the judge said is true, if Manny really meddled with a witness, then his methods landed one of his clients back in jail. By now, this isn't the only case of Manny's that has backfired on him. Over the past few months, most of the lawsuits that Manny's clients had filed against Terrell had been dismissed. Anthony Floyd, the kid who said Terrell beat him up in a previous episode, who said Terrell broke his eye socket. His case had been dismissed. Sean Nardoni, the shooting victim, who said Terrell threatened him at the police precinct. His case had been dismissed too. All in all, at least six cases involving Manny's clients had been dismissed. In some of these cases, the reasons for dismissal came down to filing or procedural issues. For example, the case of Sean Nardoni. He'd sued Terrell for false arrest, but Terrell was not one of the officers who arrested him. So even though a judge said it was indisputable that Terrell questioned Nardoni at the precinct, the case was thrown out. 
With Anthony Floyd, it was a similar story. He'd also sued Terrell for false arrest, among other things. And even though Terrell had been the arresting officer for seven other kids who were brought into the precinct at the same time as Floyd, Terrell's name did not appear on Floyd's arrest paperwork. So the judge dismissed the case. Floyd has appealed the decision. And then there was William Stevens. Even though Manny was convinced that the police had abused Stevens and had coerced him into lying about multiple people, the attorney, John Scola, never filed a lawsuit. He said he believed William Stevens, but he just couldn't find enough hard evidence to justify suing. He also said that he no longer works with Manny. Manny doesn't write lawsuits, doesn't file them. That's not his job. But all those lawsuits that got dismissed were based on his investigative work. Pacing in the park outside the courthouse, I've got more questions than ever about Manny, about his work. So I give him a call. Is that better? That's much better. All right. All right. So what? So, so first of all, the judge ruled in favor of the prosecutor. These scumbags. But go ahead. What else? I think they might be barring evidence that you found. They're, they're, they're barring all that, and then that means you just might as well put handcuffs on him and find him guilty right now. They did put handcuffs on him. What? Manny, the judge said that the prosecutor today. Yeah, Manny, the judge said the prosecutor credibly made a case that you committed misconduct and that Ajaya was complicit. Are you and they locked him up. Oh my God! What misconduct? What misconduct are they alleging I did? The judge said that you didn't go down to North Carolina to investigate with an open mind. And you went down there. How I'm, is he going to say a statement like that? Is he out of his fucking mind? Oh, my God. What did I go down there with then? He said you went down there with the goal of deceiving and manipulating her. How? Into saying How what you she... wanted her to say. She said it ten times that it was all her statement. Wow. What, what, what a dirty bastard to, to say this. Okay. You witness corruption right there in front of you, in the purest form. I'm heartbroken that this kid is, is, is now arrested. I, I got the girl's statement. I did everything by the book. The judge did not want to look at the truth. You witnessed it. Tell me you did not. I think this whole case has been fucked up. Okay? Well, because I, I, I'm stuck that you say you think. You know it is. I don't know what I don't know. But you come to conclusions. You have this conviction. And some people might wonder if you are missing things because you've made up your mind. You don't think you could have made any mistakes? Absolutely not. I, listen, I take the proper measures. I go beyond any private investigator in New York State to ensure that the legitimacy of my investigation was done properly, ethically, and within the standards of the law. You never you know, say you have to say this, you have to say so-and-so is corrupt, and, and then you get paid. Never. No, never, because then, then now that's witness tampering. I would never do that. As a matter of fact... I start asking Manny about some of the specific doubts I've been having about his work. I bring up William Stevens. 
had William Stevens really been forced to lie about more than 25 people? I'd called around to a number of lawyers who represented people who Manny believed William Stevens had lied about. None of them recalled a witness named William Stevens, or for that matter, Stephen Williams. And when I asked William Stevens if he recalled lying on anyone other than Pedro, it was hard to get a straight answer. And yet Manny, he didn't hesitate to share Stevens' explosive claims with the world. I think sometimes you push the envelope a little too far. You think push the envelope too far on what? I believe his mother, and I believe his father, and I believe William Stevens that he was used to lie on many cases. How many? Only God, William Stevens, Detective David Terrell, and Assistant District Attorney David Slott knows. But you want to know something? It's their hubris that will be their downfall. Okay? It will be. Their pride and arrogance is going to be their downfall. And I'm going to bring justice to them. The day of reckoning is coming. Trust me on that. When Manny first came to me with his story, his detective story, he was the hero, the good guy. And in the years since then, I'd seen him do things that were unquestionably good. He'd saved people who had all the odds stacked against them. He'd fought much harder for them than most people would. But I'd also met a lot of people along the way who thought that Manny was more of a villain, who said that he was unethical and reckless, who pointed out that he had an ax to grind. I'd learned about his complicated past, his history of aggressive behavior. I'd seen him fail people he'd set out to save. So which one was he? A hero? A villain? I told you back at the beginning of all this that I finally figured out the answer. And I have. Manny is not the hero. But he's not the villain either. Words like hero and villain, those are his words. His worldview. A worldview that I can understand. That I've been drawn to myself. When you see the world in a stark light, either or, this or that, you feel more sure of yourself. Less prone to doubt. But that worldview can also be dangerous. It can keep you from seeing your own flaws, from seeing the complicated world in all of its complexity. You can only see good or bad, right or wrong, angel or devil. It's not just Manny who sees the world this way. The people he's battling, the cops and prosecutors, many of them have the same tendency. While working on this story, I sometimes heard the phrase, no angel. We've all heard it. It's the phrase that people trot out when cops are accused of shooting someone or violating someone's rights. The phrase people so often use to talk about young black and Latino men, about kids like Pedro Hernandez. He's no angel, they say, as if only an angel is entitled to a fair trial, entitled to see the evidence that's gonna be used against him, to know what he's being accused of and who's making the accusation as if only an angel is allowed to be outraged when he's held in jail for days and weeks and months and years on a bail he can't afford without being convicted of anything, as if basic rights are only for angels. I don't think there are any angels on Earth, just people, people with homemade wings, trying to get off the ground. Not everybody in the criminal justice system is bad, and not everybody is good, and it's, there's always a mix of people everywhere. Just like About a year after Pedro's case had been dismissed, I sat down with him at a restaurant in the Bronx. 
A lot had happened to him in that time. He'd been back to court again, mostly to deal with traffic infractions, like driving with a suspended license, as well as an old unresolved robbery case. But those cases had mostly been dismissed too. He hadn't gotten that college scholarship that he'd been nominated for, but he had been applying to colleges and would later enroll. His lawsuit against Terrell in the city, a lawsuit based in part on Manny's investigative work, would soon be thrown out for lack of evidence. But his family hired a new lawyer, and he crafted a new complaint against Terrell and some other cops. Terrell, for his part, remains on the force. At the restaurant, Pedro seemed anxious. He kept looking at the door, as though expecting danger. He said he hadn't been sleeping at night, said he couldn't stop thinking about Rikers. He talked about seeing people getting assaulted every day, jumped, knifed, hit over the head with metal garbage cans. And he said those things happened to him too. He called Rikers a war zone. And he insisted that he'd ended up there, in that war zone, not because of anything he'd done, but because of where he was from. I lived in a neighborhood that I grew up for 16 years. And I know everybody. So I know all everybody in my building. I know everybody in the building across. There's hard-headed kids there. There's good kids that go to school. And everybody says hi to each other. It's, it's, it's the Bronx. There's everything going on. So it's like the police department knew that I grew up around all these people. So if they see me giving a, a, a five to, to the drug dealer blocks later, they want to pull me over like, oh, what he gave you? What he gave you in your hand? He didn't give me nothing in my hand. I'm on my way to school. What am I bringing to school? Drugs? Guns? What am I bringing to school? All I got is my Metro card and a few, like 20 bucks in my pocket, where I'm going. So I feel like I was targeted for saying hi or growing up with the wrong people. I'm not a saint, of course. I was not the best kid in school, but I was not the worst kid outside in the streets either. And I didn't deserve anything that happened to me throughout my time in prison or throughout the time being harassed outside in the streets. I've heard a lot of stories like this from young men in the South Bronx. Even when they were just getting into fights in middle school, even when they were still just trying to figure out who they were, the justice system had already decided. I don't know anyone who'd argue that crime, violent crime, isn't a real problem in the South Bronx. But I also don't know many people who'd argue that the authorities are dealing with that crime in the best possible way. Even some cops, in their more reflective moments, acknowledged to me that what they were doing wasn't really working all that well. Even a cop who's made hundreds of arrests. Even Detective David Terrell. Do you think arresting them helps? Sometimes yes, and then sometimes no. Because, you know, one time, maybe. Then you start seeing them two, three, four, five times. You're like, this isn't working. And it's not the police officer at this point is the system because what are they doing to help this kid? If we just keep recycling them, that's not making them a better person. Right. So how do you feel when you're arresting the same kids again and again and again and nothing's changing? How does it make you feel? Well, it makes me mad at the society because there's a lot of things that we could do for kids in the city. Like there's not a place that they can go to like an indoor recreation center. Not a lot of those places in these areas at all. There's nothing that, you know, I'm going to go get a summer job working in the 4-2. It's really hard when you live in these neighborhoods. I don't think people can even understand. That's why I get so frustrated when they say, like, you have liberal people come out and they say so many things like, oh, 
this shouldn't happen, that shouldn't happen. But you don't live in that neighborhood. You don't know. Like liberals would be like, this shouldn't happen. What do you mean? As far as we we should do something better for them, then do something. What are we doing? Stop talking about it and do something. There are people who are trying to do things, big and small. Community advocates called violence interrupters are coming together to settle disputes in their neighborhoods before things escalate into violence. The Kennedy organization that bailed out Pedro recently bailed out hundreds of other people from Rikers. Public defenders are lobbying against New York's blindfold law. Activists have been working to shut Rikers down. All these groups are hoping that if they can win even a few of these battles, fewer people will get arrested. And those who are arrested will face less pressure to plead guilty. And cases will go to trial more often. And if that happens, if people in the South Bronx actually got the rights that the Constitution promises, there'd be less of a need for a guy like Manny Gomez. And then there's this other solution that's been getting some attention. I woke up one night dreaming about it, and I wrote it on a freaking piece of tissue paper. (laughs) And I drew the schematic of the agency in my mind, and and now look where I'm at. Mm -hmm. The whole time I was following Manny, he kept telling me about this dream he had. His dream of creating a new state agency that would have the power to investigate cops and prosecutors, the power to bring disciplinary charges against them. I told him it sounded a little unrealistic. He'd have to convince a lot of important people to throw their weight behind him. He'd have to sell them on the idea that he was some kind of hero, a righteous crusader battling a gargantuan nightmare of corruption. And who would believe that? Who'd find his story so compelling that they'd ride along with him on his quest for justice or vengeance? And then one day, he gave me a call. He said he'd convinced a politician from the Bronx to draft a version of his bill and introduce it in the New York State Assembly. I checked it out, and it's true. I have no idea what will come of this bill. But Manny doesn't have any doubts. Five weeks, my dream comes true. I'll have a bill. They're going to draft it up. So this will be the first in the United States. Yeah, it's first of its kind. You got to remember, too long have the prosecutors been the untouchables. Too long has the police commission untouchable. Too long do they get away with all types of crimes. And still, nothing's done. Now I'm going to go through them like a Sherman tank. You watch. <laughs> they're going to they're gonna really see what, a, what a, a guy with balls and heart can do. I tell you, my enemies are really going to be choking now. All right? And even though they still try to put me down and and try to destroy my career and say whatever malicious things they do, they can't keep a good man down. They're not going to. Not this Gomez. <laughs> no way. The justice I couldn't give as a cop, now I give to the people as a private investigator. The justice I couldn't get for myself, now I give to the people of New York State. It's done. I'm going to go sit down and have a celebratory lunch. Talk to you later.
Conviction is a production of Gimlet Media. It's hosted by me, Saki Kanafo, and produced by Meg Driscoll, Chris Neary, and Saeed Tijintanis. Our editors are Alex Bloomberg, Jorge Just, Lynn Levy, and Jessica Weisberg. Music by Haley Shaw. Mixing by Sam Beer. Our credits music is Hard Times by Curtis Mayfield, performed by Baby Huey. This series was developed with help from producer Kate Osborne, and it grew out of a collaboration with the New York Times Magazine. Special thanks to my editor there, Mike Benoit. The series was also made in partnership with Type Investigations. Special thanks to Esther Kaplan and fact-checker Evan Malmgren. Thanks also to Kareem Maddox, Lisa Chow, Emmanuel Jochi, the Donsenborg family, Jamie Weiss, Justin Sifford and Gotti, WSC, Nan Kramer and Mike Smith, Margaret and Miles Driscoll, Kieran Helferty, Hannah Kanafo, my parents, and Lila Pearl Shapiro.